0: Well, good morning church it is again so good to be able to talk to you in person to be able to see your faces hear from you we praise God for that yeah it's uh it's been a unique season as a pastor I was joking with somebody earlier and I said I feel like uh um the last three months have, have been like three years in ministry but it's been good and again I'll say the same thing at I did last week. It's been good because you've been good. You as the church, as a body of Christ, have stayed connected and stayed engaged. And Now more than ever, I feel like we need to look at that, how in the midst of the reality that we were not allowed to be in the same room together, to almost take it as if that was practice for what how we navigate the season that we're in now. It's saying, hey, uh, we weren't around each other, but we're still to be united. What if now, while there is this new thing to divide us that really isn't a new thing, it's just this volcano that has kind of erupted that seasonally and sometimes, really, if you, if you just track it uh, you know, throughout the course in time, every summer of an election year, you, you can almost predict it. And this is the season we're in. And, and I felt like, for us as a church, it would be negligent to our body if we did not lean in and talk about this. See, I think the reason so many of you come to church here at MCC is because it is something different. Some of you grew up in, in churches that were all white church, some of you grew up in churches that were all back, black church, but here's the deal, one of the things I love about MCC is that, that, at least from my experience, has not been who we are. I think we can grow in that diversity. I think we can grow in that care But my hope today is that we can dive in to what is going to be a two-part series. So this week and next week, and I'm going on vacation because by God, I earned it. Um, But we're going to talk about racial reconciliation. And we're going to talk about it in the course of those two words. So, So today we're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about racial, the racial side of stuff, whether or not we are one, whether or not racism is a thing. And then we're going to dive into week two. We're going to talk about racial reconciliation, which is a perfect topic to dive into on Father's Day because that's what God has done to all of us. He's reconciled us to him, and we're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about the other half of God's reconciliation that we, uh, especially the white church, for for a long, long, long time has overlooked in regards to the topic of racial reconciliation. So uh, at the onset, I'm going to ask you to give me something that you already do a pretty good job of giving me as a 32 year old preacher is I need grace I'm not perfect I'm not a scholar I don't have all of this figured out I've done my best to prepare, I've done my best to think through every side of the coin, I've done my best to, to not go, God, let me just preach a message that no one gets offended by. My, my hope and my prayer is the same thing that you would want would be what I would deliver. It's for me, as your pastor, to actually preach the counsel that's in the Word of God. I, I believe that is what you want, and that is my hope and that is my prayer to be able to deliver that to you as your pastor today. And so I'm going to ask you, you know, anytime you start talking about the idea of race and everything, especially in a season like this, is to tighten up and to go, oh, gosh, I'm just going to come back, you know, three weeks from now or I'm going to wait till somebody else is teaching or whatever, or whatever, because I don't want to talk about this. This doesn't exist. I just wish it all would go away and then have this escapism view of it. But that's not who I believe God is calling us to be. And I don't think that's what you want either. So I'm going to pray but before I open my mouth and start speaking words to our holy God, our holy Father, who's watching down on this, who hears every thought that's in our head, who knows the meditations of our heart, I'm going to ask you to pray. To pray in a way that positions your heart to check any preconceived notions, to check any narrative that you have believed, to check any amount of history and things that you and say, God, can I come before you at the level playing field that is the foot of the cross? and lean into your word. So I'm going to give you a moment in the silence of the seat that you're in to pray and to meet with God and ask him to position your heart in such a way that you can hear directly from him today. And then I'll pray for us together. You hear your people. And you hear us now, but God, you've also heard us in traffic. You've heard us in locker rooms. You've heard us in boardrooms and meetings and living rooms. And despite the reality that we may want to dismiss that there's not a racist bone in our body, God, you don't just know our bones you know our hearts our minds and our souls and so father i pray we can come before you today at a place of honesty at a place of reverence at a place of utter dependence on you to reveal to us how one of the most dangerous prayers we could pray is a prayer i pray we're praying today is that you would reveal sin to us and lead us into repentance. I'm going to ask, church, that we would collectively pray as Jesus taught us to pray, as a, as a stance and unity as we get ready to dive into his word today. Would you pray the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. So today I felt compelled to talk about this because I am a one side a a, a follower of God but at the other side I am a a creature of the culture and I have to see what culture is doing and experience this to be able to have one foot in the world and one foot in the world uh, so that I can be able to preach both the word of God against the world that we live in in a way that doesn't combat it but in a way that heals it. And and my fear as I I talked about this with some other people today uh, this week as we dive into this is that so many of us during this climate and then what we see going on are actually more influenced than memes that we see online, than videos, than news media, than we are actually influenced by the very word of God. And so we take all our P's and Q's from what we see on Fox News, from what we see posted online, and so we, we find this way to skip past what we may see in a majority to find a feed that feeds us the opinion and the views that we already wanted to believe. And so what we do when we do that is we actually create this thing that is an echo chamber. And so I will scroll past somebody whose view is different than me and find one that is mine, and I'll reciprocate that and make sure that my life is insulated by all the things that I think are true because when my point is proved by everyone else around me, then I feel like what I believe is true. And so today I say that because for every one of us, no matter what side of the coin you're on, no matter how many uh, drops of melanin are in your skin, we all have a hurdle to jump over. And it's the hurdle between what we want to be true and the truth that we find in God's word. And guys, for some of you, this hurdle is higher than others. For me in my life, I, I know that has been a big hurdle on certain things in my life. But it is a hurdle nonetheless, and it's got to be something that we collectively can agree on. As I've been researching and studying for this, I came across this quote by, by a pastor that I really uh, love, appreciate, and respect. And his voice in this has been one that has been influencing me. His name is Dr. Tony Evans. And I, uh, I stand beside him in this quote, and that's a reason that I share it with you. He said this. He said, I do not believe that our racial issues are as difficult to resolve as we make them. It only becomes difficult because the church refuses the authority of Christ and the authority of Scripture. And that's a hard place to say amen. It may be an easy place to say ouch, though. And and I I tend to, to agree. To say, man, I don't know if it is that complicated. I don't know if it's really that hard. And, and I, I invite you here, don't get nervous because we've got to enter this with grace and truth. The enemy, here's the deal, he wants us to take sides, to pick a side and, and to go to one or the other. And he wants us to be divided. But hear me, the goal is to not get you from whatever narrative or opinion you believe right now to jump to the other side and that's what frustrated so many people about jesus the pharisees wanted him to fit into their category even the people who are gluttons and were you know doing the things that everybody else said were simple they wanted jesus to fit into their mold what jesus did continually perpetually was frustrate people because he did not fit in their box he was not a republican he was not a democrat he was someone who was following his father god and it if we're going to be christians We are not going to be able to fit this cookie cutter approach to what life in America looks like. We have to live in this thing called the messy middle ground. Where our faith and our walk and our views on things aren't as concrete as the agenda of this channel or that channel. Of that post or that post. And that's what's hard about being a follower of Jesus. So if you're Black Lives Matter, I'm not asking you to become Blue Lives Matter. If you're Blue Lives Matter, I'm not asking you to become Black Lives Matter. If you're the type of person who believes that systemic systemic racism is not something that exists, I'm not asking you to go and start believing that. If you have experienced systemic racism, I'm not asking you to deny its reality. What I'm asking is that regardless if you are black or white, you go to the Bible If you're brown, you go to the Bible. If you're rainbow, you go to the Bible. If you're whatever, you go to the Bible. And the big question, the the overlying question is not who's right, who's wrong. It's, is this enough? And am I willing to, before I go to everything else, to come here and to let this be enough? And that's what my hope to do today with you is. So if you have a Bible, Today, we're going to lean into the race, and I want you to go to the book of James. James, specifically, chapter 2. It's what we're going to dive into today. James, chapter 2. I've been in the church for a while. I've served at one of the most ethnically diverse churches in our country before I came here on staff. I've been going to church since I was in seventh grade, and today this is the first time I've heard this passage preached on the topic of racism and that divide, Uh, and and a lot of churches like the one you grew up, that's probably not a topic that's talked about a whole lot anyway, but when it is, it's oftentimes not taken here. To really go to, okay, what is this, this root issue behind the preferences that we show? And, and today I want to take you to this. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. You've got NIV in front of you. If you've got a Bible app, you can do that there. Here's the deal. There's two words in here that we're going to be talking about, and they're pretty much interchangeable. It's the word of partiality and the word of favoritism. And today what we're going to be diving into is how racism becomes something that is actually on display because of and through the root sin of partiality and james called james calls it out here and we're going to call it out today let's read it together james 2 1. james pulls no punches comes out swinging my brothers which obviously implies he's talking to everyone my brothers my sisters he was writing to church leaders that's why he says my brothers my brothers my sisters everybody wake up pay attention show no partiality as you hold the faith. In our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Again, partiality is favoritism. It is bias. The the dictionary defines it as an unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. Key word, unfair, unwarranted, ungrounded. It's an unfair bias. Let's keep going. Jesus goes and says, don't do it. And then in verse two through four, he tells them the example and practically what this looks like and how to avoid doing this. He says, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, you have not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts if you're taking notes if you're highlighting if if you want to underline some things go to verse four and underline those three words distinctions among yourselves distinctions among yourselves see what is happening here is james is calling out under the inspiration of jesus he's saying you are making distinctions among yourself based off of what someone's heart someone's motives no you're making distinctions on on yourself on your own based off of how someone looks externally and again this verse yes I know is talking about whether someone looks rich or poor but in the reality all we're talking about here is external differences because the same thing and and if you talk to black people they'll say this if you talk to white people they'll say this at the end of the day we are one race we are one And here's the deal, he's saying you're judging by the outside things and what's happening there is, and this is why it frustrates God and this is why it's a sin, is because you are making a distinction that Jesus doesn't make. Now here is where a lot of religious people, they will say, well Jesus doesn't make a racist distinction. Jesus doesn't distinguish between races, Jesus looks at everybody the same. And so they will use that as their card to get out of ever talking about racism. And they'll say, hey, well, I don't have to talk about racism because Jesus said we're all one. And so I'm not going to talk about it. But here's the failure in that logic. Just because Jesus does not talk about something does not mean it does not exist. Just because Jesus doesn't say that people are treating other people differently because of the way they look doesn't mean that people are treating people as if they are not one and that one is worse than the other one. And so he says, you're making distinctions that Jesus doesn't make. And then he goes on to say, and this is where we see the path of this come into play. He says, you are becoming judges. Judges. And again, most of you in this room, in this crowd today, you've been around church enough to know that there is only one judge. And you happen to not be him. And so the reality is here, in regards to that one judge, our king judge, Jesus... We are all guilty. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And when we put ourselves in the judgment seat, what we have now done is committed the sin of pride, which is the root of partiality that becomes the display of racism. And so I want you to again, you've got to get the systemic the root of it understood before you can understand oh racism just racism sin, racism sin. Yes, but I want to take you to God's word and help you understand what the root of the fruit of racism comes from and it comes from this place of saying I am smart enough intelligent enough I know enough to judge how much that person is worth and that's why Jesus you know here in this verse as he's speaking through James he says those are evil thoughts it's evil to think one person is worth less than another person he goes on to say He's explaining this to them. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised those who love him? See, James is making this point. Again, James is the brother of Jesus and if there is ever a point that the Bible is true and that Jesus was real, it's that James, his brother, is literally saying he is God. And James here is saying, regardless of your external reality, It is evil to think that one person is less than another or more than another because the reality is every single one of them is heirs to the kingdom of God. Which means every single person had the same price paid for them to be able to enter into the one family of God. That regardless if you make seven figures and you live in that neighborhood and regardless if you are living on food stamps, God says it does not matter. Regardless if you are a black, regardless if you are white, God says we are one. Everyone has a way to be made to be an heir and it's through the blood of Jesus. So he says regardless of where, wherever you're at on this, we're all family. We're heirs. In 6 and 7, he says, but... But you, when you do this, you have dishonored the poor man, which is Jane's way of saying you have dishonored his life, his being, as if he is less than the other man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Verses 8 and 9, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well but if you show partiality if you show favoritism as it reads in NIV if you show partiality you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors okay we have to sit under the weight of that because he just said if we are showing partiality, if we are showing favoritism to someone based off of their outward appearance and based off of preconceived notions that we have about other people who have an outward appearance that matches that person's outward appearance, we are committing the sin partiality. And I want you to see here again how sin manifests itself through this. It starts out What we see on the surface is what you have experienced as racism and I have experienced as racism. And I'll be the first to admit the racism that I've experienced as a white male, which most people would say is the most privileged person within our society, a white American male, is minute. The biggest, the closest thing to racism I've ever experienced in my life is when in my high school in Carrollton, Georgia. There was the group of white kids who would play basketball in team sports and the black kids who played basketball in team sports. And I got tired of the white kids who were terrible at basketball stepping on my ankles and, and making me mess up and how bad they were at basketball. And I said, I'm going to go play with the black kids. And the biggest, closest thing I've experienced to racism was being picked last, which was motivation to actually do better. that's the closest I've came but all these outward things that we see on the outside that we've heard on the outside these things come from a place of partiality where we say "I, I would prefer to play with this group of people as opposed to this group of people that's the reason there were two different games on the court because all of the white kids went yeah I prefer to play with them because I may actually score And these guys said, I don't want to play with those white guys because they're all terrible. And they found a place to play. And what happens here is it comes out in the form of preference and that preference is tied to pride. Let's put it a little more practical. When those of you who have white daughters say, I would prefer that my daughter not date a black guy That is the sin of racism on display through partiality and favoritism and pride deeming that one person for her to marry may be better than another. When our black mothers say, I want my son to marry a black woman. That is the sin of racism on display through partiality and pride. When we say, I I want my kids to go to a school, we're not the minority. That is partiality on display and it's not just a skin issue. When we, males, when we say, I would prefer not to work for a female, that is partiality on display as sexism and pride and preference. And I need need you to see what it actually is at its root. We are never going to be a people who can see the poison fruit until we understand the poison root pride and believing that i am capable of judging someone's life whether off of external things or internal things and saying that mine is better than them and i prefer one over the other based off of something that is solely external and this guys i want to read you some verses that explains why this frustrates the very heart of god if you got a bible you can go to galatians three twenty-eight. Paul speaking in Galatians 3:28, he made it very clear what James was making very clear. He says this in 3:28. He says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." Amen. We are one. And again, I preached about this uh, a couple months ago in, in First Peter 2:9. He says, but you, and when he says you, he's not talking to any one group of specific He's talking to the church. He's saying, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When he uses the word nations in the Greek, that word is translated as ethnos. He's saying, you are a new Ethnicity. You are not, you're not, you no longer have that. You no longer have this. You have a new ethnicity because you have been brought into a new family. And again, a lot of times you can figure out what we're supposed to do in the middle if you can see the end. And Jesus made it very clear what our end would look like in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 12, a beautiful picture of what heaven will actually look like. He says this, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples, languages, were standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, that's a judgment seat, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. What you have here is this beautiful, multi-ethnic, diverse group of people standing before God. Now what you don't have is a homogenous blob worshiping God. God and the Lamb there's a reason listen every word that is inspired and put into scripture is put there for a reason Paul when he was talking in Galatians and said there's no longer slave there's no longer um, the, the person who owns there's no longer male there's no longer female there's no longer Jew there's no longer Gentile what he's not saying is that all those things cease to exist because we see in Revelation those differentiating factors still exist and what happens is those dissentuating factors actually become things that don't differentiate they actually accentuate how good god is and the reality that man if you've ever been in some cross-cultural experiences you learn more things about the kingdom of god and how it operates when you get yourself around people from other ethnicities i've seen that man i can never forget the first time i did an african-american funeral and i was like what why are white people so sad? It, it was it was encouraging. It was, man, it, I, preaching that was, was it, I, man, I left out of there just excited because there was this hope that I had never experienced. There was this not caught up in the dull, dry, dreariness of, of death, but there was this celebration and this looking forward to the eternal kingdom that was coming. And, I, and that's what I love. And so when we Talk about practically speaking. I want to give you, I talked about the theological side, talked about the handle side. Now I want to give you some things where you can like, okay, let's put some stuff in practice. Let's, let's get down to the brass tacks ideas of it and what we can actually do different to be part of building a bridge. Now here's the deal. I said this at a heart cries thing we had for racial reconciliation through crosswalk and ministry we support the other night. Man, I believe that you're a part of MCC because generally within your heart you have a desire to be a bridge builder between one side and the other. And at the end of the day, God has not called us to take a side. He's called us to build bridges between the sides, because that's the very thing that Jesus did on the cross. He built a bridge between a perfect God and a simple creation that you and I could cross. And he calls us to do the same. But here's the deal about bridges. Bridges were made to get walked on. And we as his church... If we're not willing to enter into this conversation, enter into an awkward conversation, enter into hard conversations, enter into places where we're having to ask things and going, man, I think they're gonna get offended by this, but I don't know, and I'm just gonna ask it, or I'm gonna just do what I can. I'm gonna invite them over. I don't know if they'll come. I don't know if they're scared to come. I'm just gonna do it. We've got to be willing to take those risks. So the first thing that I want to talk about, practically speaking, is this. Guys, if this sin of partiality and pride and judgment is real, and oftentimes, especially now in our society, it manifests itself as racism, what this means for us, I believe, is that it is no longer enough just to not be racist. It is no longer enough just to be a non racist. Non racist is not the goal. Here's the deal, and here's why being non racist does not address or solve anything. And for me, as a white male, I thought being non-racist was the goal up until I started working at a church that was multi-ethnic and incredibly diverse. And here's how it played out in my life. I was a high school baseball player, senior on the team, captain on the team. There's one African-American young man on the team with us great athlete, amazing baseball player, good-hearted, one of the best guys that I knew on that team, one of the guys who I, I wish I could have kept playing baseball with him after that because he was such a good guy. I remember being on the bus, getting ready to head to an away game. And, and Dion, he, he called someone on the bus as, you know, in 2000, when was it, 2006, it was much less frowned upon to say the R word in public. And so he called one of our fellow teammates the R word, To which the bus driver responded back, you don't call him an R word and I won't call you the N word. Except she obviously did not say N word. She said the whole word. And and I'm in the back of the bus and I almost spit my sunflower seeds out of my mouth. Because I'm going, what the, what just happened? And in that moment Because I was content With just being a non-racist I didn't go to my friend And say hey man I see you're really angry right now I see you're really frustrated right now I'm sorry She should have never said that Instead I was indifferent And that's what being a non-racist ultimately leads to indifference because we think oh well i'm not a racist so eh, it's not me but we don't do that with anything else we we don't do that with child abuse we don't just say well it's just it's just good enough to be non-child abuse like if we walk by somebody who's abusing a child we don't go well i don't abuse children and keep walking do we we step in and so the time I believe has come for us as a people of God to just say well, I'm non-racist. I don't see color I think that's actually over I think what God is calling us to do is in the same way that we are anti-abortion that we are anti-slavery that we are anti-voter fraud or whatever gets you fired up in the same way that we are anti-whatever those things that we'd actually say I'm actually anti-racist Because here's the deal, you don't want, just want me to be anti-embezzlement, or you don't want me to just be non-embezzlement. You don't want me to just like, ah, guys, listen, I don't steal money from the church and go buy really cool cars and nice stuff. You don't want me to just be non-embezzlement. You want me to be anti-embezzlement. You want me to put checks and balances in place. You want there to be financial accountability. You want to, at any point in time, be able to look at where every single dollar of MCC goes. Because there's a difference between being non-something and being anti-something. And my hope and my prayer for us is that we would be a church who realizes that if I'm going to be anti-something, if I'm going to be anti-racism, then it's going to actually require that I speak up and that I stand up. Now here's the deal, and I, uh, confession time. When you make that shift from just being okay with being a non-racist to actually being someone who is anti-racist. Here's what happens. You find out how racist you actually are. And it should hurt your heart on the inside. Because you realize all these other micro, hidden, subtle things that you didn't even know were pounded into your head from the time you were born. And when you start to become anti, you say something and you go, oh, wow, shouldn't have said that. You think something in traffic and go, "Ah, shouldn't have thought that. You walk by a group of kids at the Tanger Outlet Mall and you go, ugh, shouldn't have felt that, shouldn't have thought that, shouldn't have been there. And many people don't make the jump to anti because they're afraid of who they may see in the mirror. And my hope, that you would be more confident in the fact that when you do look in the mirror, when you make that jump, you will see Jesus looking back at you because from the inside out, you will have actually started to become more like him. Last thing, I want to walk you through four very practical things. If we are going to start living as one, you can take notes on this, write some of this down, it is going to require risk. acronym. I want to walk you through that acronym as we close out. Very, very practical here, all right? If we are going to live as one, it is going to require risk. Love, always requires risk first letter r is going to require us building and making relationships and some of these relationships are going to require risk because here's the deal some of you and i think we got to get over this some of us have made and again you know it's a little bit different now because we're quarantined and we're coming back out of that but some of us we have made our proximity to people of different nationalities, different colors, different ethnicities, we have made our proximity to them in a worship service suffice. As the same way that it has never been the goal to just be non-racist, the goal has never just to be in proximity to people who look different than you. The goal is to have friendships. To learn. To shut up and listen. The goal is to have relationship which I love. the first meeting I ever had as your pastor was with Zachary Williams, a young African American male he came to me and he said Trent, I'd love to get to know you I want to buy you some Starbucks, let's go across the street so me and Zachary we go across the street and he risks and he builds a relationship and that's the first meeting I have as your pastor is with someone who looks different than me, not under my doing. From there, this encouraged me. And I said, okay, goodness gracious, so I'm going to lead in this environment. I've got to be intentional with the relationships that I build. And there's a young African American man who goes to church here. His name is Byron. And Byron and I, until Gezos gave me food poisoning, we ate Gezos every single month. Now I refuse to go back to Gezo, so we find a new place every month, and we go and we eat and we talk about life and what it's like to be him and what it's like to be me, and we discuss these things because it is not going to happen if there are not relationships being built. The next one is the letter I. I stands for intentionality. We've got to be intentional. And I want to speak to, to parents, maybe even some grandparents in the room, with the intentionality side of things. Because I think our, our connotation, especially for those of us with kids, is to go, they don't see color. And you, you're actually there right. I, I was playing baseball with Titus. We, we were, you know, we can't, we're not playing on a team, so we're just going to the field by ourselves. It's miserable, but we make the most of it. Hitting balls to the outfield. And we're picking up the baseballs. We're walking with the bucket, picking up the balls. And that's usually the time where me and Titus, we talk about life stuff. And we just get going. And I say, Titus, what, how do you feel about girls? And he's like, gross. And I'm like, all right, cool. We'll move on from that one. <laughs> and then I say, hey, man, do you ever, uh, you ever notice that some people's skin looks different than you, than your skin? And he goes, no. And I go, uh, not what I was expecting. Well, I guess I'll just wait a little bit until he figures it out. And I was convicted of that, because here's why. And you tell me if this isn't true in your life, in your story, as a child, the first thing where you had your awakening to racial skin color differences, was it a positive encounter or was it a negative encounter? More often than not, the first time we realized that there are differences in skin, that there's black and there's white specifically. I know for me, it was sitting at grandma's house and going, oh, dang, those people do that, grandma? Well, those people must not be good people. And this is how an eight-year-old's worldview gets created. And so I say to my white parents, I say to my black parents, talk to your kids about differences in their skin because you have the chance to not be on the defense and waiting on the world to tell them that this person is this because of their skin and this person does this because of their skin. You have the opportunity to take your parenting, take your grandparenting to a gospel perspective and say, we are one here's what the world's going to try to tell you about people like that but that's not true god loves them god gave a son for them and he gave a son for you too and you are equal in his sight that is what intentionality looks like now hear me on this i talked to the the, the church staff this week i said i need you to be intentional to be build, bridge builders but listen and i'm going to just i'm going to speak very bluntly here there's a difference between being intentional and being careful you're careful when you have something to hide ooh I'm gonna be I better not say that I better wash my tongue I'm gonna be careful if you're thinking I gotta be careful that means you still got crap in here and that's a problem instead go God I'm gonna get all this out and I'm gonna be intentional to allow the good that I experience from people who look different to me to actually cleanse some of that because I know you've cleansed that sin by the power of your blood next one is start at home. Start at home. This is where it begins, guys. Hear me on this. Most every single one of us, the first time you heard something racist, you heard something where the the sin of partiality and pride was on display, you didn't hear it at church, most likely. Maybe it was at school. But I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that 90% of the first racial things we heard were in our homes. And homes of believers are to be different. And it starts in our homes. It starts with the conversations we have. It starts around our dinner tables. You want to know if we are making a dent and, and we are actually living out the racial reconciliation that Jesus bought for us to have, Is according to Ephesians 2, we'll know that it's actually happening when our dinner tables look different. That's when we'll know. When your kids have sleepovers and 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 there's there's a kid from mexico and there's a kid whose family's from haiti and there's a kid whose family is like yours we'll know that it's happening when it starts in the home the last one is knowledge if we're going to be one we've got to gain knowledge and hear me on this i'm not talking about going and gaining some going and finding some book to read To become woke. I'm not talking about going and subscribing to some blog. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about going to the place where knowledge starts. I'm talking about going to God's word. I'm talking about going to him in prayer. And guys, listen. I don't think it is any strange coincidence that a lot of this movement and a lot of what has triggered this. The last big rumbling that we had was because an NFL player for the San Francisco 49ers decided that during the national anthem he would take a knee. And then fast forward to a few weeks ago, we saw a cop kneel on the neck of George Floyd to the point where he lost his breath and he lost his life. But guys, here's the deal. This is a polarizing posture, yes. But here's the deal. This is a powerful posture. And kneeling is how we, as God's people, actually fight against this. Not in everybody else's life. Take a knee, draw a circle around your butt, and that's where you pray for revival to happen. Because what happens is when we go to a knee, when we open God's Word to say, God, give us knowledge from your Word. Change my heart from the inside. What happens is we actually stand up different. Because what happened through prayer, through God's Word, are the things that a meme, that information online, that CNN, fox news msnbc the republicans the democrats none of that can happen every amount of social reform in our society has come through the church and it will come through us but we have got to get over ourselves and get on our knees go before god that's the way that it happens that's the way we become one i'm going to invite the band out now to lead us in a time of, of worship We're going to be singing this song about how Jesus has paid it all. and He paid it all so that we could be one. We're going to take communion again. If you didn't grab communion, you can go right there to the back and grab that. As the song plays, I pray that you just take a moment. You commune with your Father. You commune with Christ. You commune with the one who created you and knows you intimately in your inmost being. And you allow him to search your heart. And you maybe even... Utter a really bold prayer and say, Reveal to me any wicked ways that you have found within me, Jesus. And allow him to speak. Not what you need to hear. But what he wants you to hear. Because he puts you here in this moment for a reason. That bread that's at the top represents his body that was broken, and torn apart so that you can know that not only is God putting the broken pieces of your life together, but he's putting the broken parts of our society and our world back together. He's not just making you new, he's making everything new. And that juice represents his blood. that now greater than anything that flows within us that would make us family, at the end of the day, blood is thicker than water, but blood is not stronger than the cross. And my hope and my prayer is that you would know that he did it for you to be reconciled to him and he did it so that we could be reconciled to each other. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good God. You are a righteous and holy king. You are the judge that can only judge in the pure and true way. And as we meet with you, Jesus, pray that you would fill our hearts, fill our minds, take us to a place of repentance and forgiveness, Draw us, Jesus, away from our sins, away from our mistakes, away from our second guessing of what we should do and that's held us up from doing anything. And God, move us to a place that looks more and more like your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name, amen.